All right. Well, God bless you. Um, just a, a couple of quick announcements to bring to uh, your attention. Um, one, and I mentioned this at the beginning, but please keep praying for our church body. Again, the Lord has blessed us, uh, keeping us healthy uh, for the most part. Uh, but as school has returned, flu bugs and different things are starting to spread. And then even though children in our church are not affected directly uh, with COVID-19, they are around other children who are. So that's part of it. But the other thing is too, on our worship, on our worship search, uh, just a little update. Just know that uh, the Lord is actually bringing me into contact with a few people, and I've actually had some conversations with folks this week on that. No other details I want to give you at this point. Nothing has been decided yet at all, uh, but I have at least been introduced to some folks uh, just this week alone uh, who are interested in talking to us about coming to help us in worship, and we're continuing those conversations. So be uh, praying for that. And as this season this year of 2020 continues, um, it's still not over. And so far, 2020 has shown us don't count on anything. But through Christ, our hope in Christ gives us a grounding even in uncertainty. And so let us thank the Lord for that, number one. But number two, let's hold tight to the promises of our Lord, even as we get through this year together. Amen? Amen. Uh, visitors who are here, we won't embarrass you, but we do also have some visitors cards in the back. I would ask if you would be kind enough to grab one uh, there on the way out and fill out. Just if you would, let us know how we can contact you, uh, how we can get to know you. If you have questions about our church, we'd love to talk to you as well. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, the gospel of Matthew chapter 5. This year we have been working through this wonderful gospel together. And now we are working through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is now at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, continuing to talk about the fulfillment of the law. Not that he is eliminating the law at all. That is what he made very clear in verses 17 through 20. But these, you have heard that it was said statements throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus clarifying specifically what the law intends, but more importantly, how Christ fulfills these things. Likewise, how we as citizens of the kingdom are to live as citizens of the kingdom. And these teachings of Jesus help us see that. So if you're able to stand in reverence for the reading of God's word, please do so. And let us read together Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And these words of your son, Jesus Christ, resonate so clearly, but yet we're also confused. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the gift of grace that our sins are forgiven, they are atoned for through the blood of your Son. 
And as citizens of your kingdom, those of us who are bought by the blood of Christ, we are expected to live as citizens. And Lord, I thank you for the richness of this text, that you're teaching us even something greater than we could ever imagine. Help us to see, Father, what your Son is teaching. Help us to see what you intend here for your law, but also for our our lives and our witness of you in this world. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to be serious in what we say, that you would teach us what it means to be serious in our commitment to you. Teach us, Father, where we fail you, but also teach us where we please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. How many of you have ever tried to confess a wrong uh, by claiming a witness from someone else? Has anybody ever been accused of doing something wrong? Anybody ever go through that at work or maybe as kids, your parents say, now who broke the vase? Who spilled the Kool-Aid? And then whenever you are confronted with your accusation, you want to claim your innocence. But no one believes you when you say, I did not spill the Kool-Aid, or I did not break the vase. And no one believes your word, so in order to try to plead your case, you call for a witness. You say, but mom, if you don't believe me, ask so-and-so. We plead our case by calling witnesses often, by saying that, you know, my word is what it is, but if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe someone else. Right? What Jesus is now getting to in this part of his Sermon on the Mount is something that many people will take as literal, but and they should, but then they will also take it a little bit farther than that to a point I think they distort what Jesus is saying here. So I want us to look at what Jesus is saying here about taking an oath, and what does he really mean? So what does Jesus mean by saying, do not swear at all? Now, I don't know about you, when I was growing up, you know, and, and this is true, you should not use swear words, right? You know, we all know what swear words are. My mama would wash my mouth out with soap if I used certain words that I should not use, right? But what is Jesus talking about? You should not swear an oath at all. See, some have taken this passage to mean that Christians should never take an oath. Has anyone ever been taught that? Christians should not take an oath. And so to the point that if they are called as witnesses in the court of law, some Christians will claim a Christian privilege of, I will not put my hand on the Bible and swear an oath because this passage says, Jesus tells me, I should not swear an oath. But we do take oaths all the time, don't we? Well, let's think about this. Um, a solemn, and Here's what an oath is. An oath is really defined as a solemn, usually a formal calling upon God, as a witness. That's what an oath is. You're actually calling God to be your witness to the truth of what you're saying or you're saying, I'm calling upon God to be my witness that what I say is what it is or I really intend to do what I'm saying. Other times an oath can be defined as something that is irreverent or careless. Taking God's sacred name in vain. I think this is what Jesus is talking about here. He's clearly talking about this definition of an oath, right? 
Here's some examples of taking an oath. Like we mentioned, in legal proceedings, a witness is often compelled to you know, place their hand on the Bible to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's an oath, really. Right? But whenever you take that oath in the court of law, let's say that you, you swear that oath, but then you lie on the court. Now what are you guilty of? Perjury. So the seriousness of an oath cannot be ignored here. When we make a promise, when we take an oath, when we swear by the name of God that this is true and we are lying, the consequences and the penalties are serious, especially in a court of law. That's why the the idea of telling the truth in court is so important. And this is why the laws that we have will punish anyone who swears to tell the truth, but then they are really lying. There are penalties there. We cannot ignore that. We do this in court, so we do take oaths in court. Here's another example of taking an oath. Anyone who's ever joined the military or uh, maybe serve in a police force, those kind of things, right? Uh, they, they have to swear an oath of allegiance and protection, right? Here's the words. I, state your name, right? Do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Dwayne, you remember saying those words? Amen. Those who served in the military, those who served in that kind of... We have to swear an oath to protect and to serve, to defend the Constitution, So we do this all the time. But we have to remember here, what is Jesus talking about here? Look here at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus here is actually pointing to an Old Testament law about swearing oaths, right? Um, when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you want to turn there, you can. If you wish to take notes, you may do that as well. But Deuteronomy chapter 6 is part of where we get this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. The Mosaic law here is expanding. This is part of the Shema. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you have did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verses 10 through 11 here of, of this passage is reminding God's people that it is God himself who has sworn a promise to them. God himself has sworn, I will give this to you. And does God keep his word? Amen. He brings his people into the land of promise and he gives them all that he has guaranteed them. I have kept my word to you and I do not want you to forget that I have sworn an oath to you. I have sworn a promise to you and I have given you everything that I have promised. Let's remember that first. God himself uses this language. He has sworn to his people. Therefore, in verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
Now, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, if you just look at what he's saying, it may appear that he's contradicting this text. Because here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are commanded, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Right? Is that what that text says? Pretty clear. So why is it that Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 now says, don't swear by the name of God? Some people who would look at these two texts would say that that's a contradiction. I think there's something deeper here than what Jesus is saying. The Old Testament also goes a little bit further. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. There we go. Leviticus chapter 19. He says in Leviticus 19, verse 11, You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. Is that pretty straightforward? How many people have ever had their mouth washed out for lying before by their mama? You know, that was one thing with my parents growing up. I could, you know, tell them pretty much anything that I needed to tell them, but boy, if I ever told a lie, boy, that was bad. Amen? Even with friends, with, with marriage couples, with relationships with one another, trustworthiness is invaluable. And so God's Word makes it real clear. You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. And really, I think this is what Jesus is speaking about here, that a false oath is exactly this. A false oath is dealing falsely with the Lord and with one another. A false oath is telling a lie to one another. And really you could argue that a false oath is stealing from one another because you're stealing trustworthiness, you're stealing respect from one another. But now in Leviticus 19.12, it goes even further. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You see, Leviticus 19, verses 11 through 12, really kind of brings brings it home here. What Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 says, that you shall serve by His name and you shall swear by His name, is so important that in Leviticus 19, the penalties for lying in that are very severe. So what is Jesus meaning here? Numbers chapter 30, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. This kind of helps us understand a little bit more about where this is going. Numbers chapter 30, let's, let's, let's read verses 1 and 2. Because this section of the book of Numbers, this is the Mosaic Law, that Jesus is really, bar, he's, he's, he's explaining further in Matthew chapter 5. Numbers chapter 30, verse 1, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, this is what the Lord has commanded. Underline that if you need to. This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, what? Keep your word. How many people have been taught that? Keep your word. 
It's a sign of integrity. It's a sign of character. It's a sign of actually being a child of the Lord. Keep your word. Don't break it, especially in this context of Numbers chapter 30, when you make an oath and a pledge to God for anything. Don't break your word. Period. Now, here's what we're dealing with here. By the time of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, by his time, we understand here, as we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount, that the Mosaic Law had become so expanded and so complicated by the different rules of the rabbis and the Pharisees that they would even take the Mosaic Law and twist it and distort it to a point that it was okay for them to do whatever they could do because they could justify their breaking the Mosaic Law without it looking like they broke the Mosaic Law, right? This is part of why Jesus is explaining this in Matthew chapter 5. And the rabbis had carefully distinguished between what an oath is and a vow is. And then let me explain to you what, the, what they had decided. The rabbis had decided in the expansion of the Mosaic Law that a vow is that a person pledges before God that some item or some act is forbidden. I, am not, I promise in my vow that this will not happen. It's forbidden. That's a vow. But an oath, they would say, there were two different kinds of oaths that the rabbis distinguished, and Jesus was trying to, trying to cover the big picture here because the rabbis had gotten it so distinct that they were splitting hairs. They said there were two kinds of oaths. There was what was called an assertive oath, right? And, and we, if we give an assertive oath, we can hear some of these things. An assertive oath is saying that it's really something that you would give in a, uh, in a court context, in a judicial context. You, you swear an oath that I have done it, or you swear an oath I have not done it. That's an assertion. That's a type of oath. Another kind of oath is a voluntary oath. No one's, you're not under, compelled under law. You're not compelled by anyone to give this oath, but you voluntarily say, I will do this thing, or I will not do this thing. So an oath is either you're giving an oath that this did or did not happen, or you're giving an oath for the future, I will do something or I will not do something. And the rabbis, you know, they were splitting hairs at a lot of these things, trying to justify one way or the other. But we have to remember that Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, let's go back and look at that. He totally rejects any kind of oath or any kind of vow. That's a very interesting point here. He says here in verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. What is Jesus doing here? He's, he's really, Jesus is rejecting any kind of oath or any kind of vow. Not saying that they're bad. He's taking it a bit further because he's scorning the piety of the rabbis and the piety of the, of the Jewish people who spent so much effort in speaking eloquently and trying to make sound important that their words meant nothing. And so Jesus is really rejecting all oaths and vows altogether in an effort to skirt 
what, what, what people were doing, they were trying to skirt the name of God in an oath. They were trying, they were really distorting and, and embarrassing the name of God and being, dis, and, and being disrespectful to the name of God because they would give an oath with no intent of ever fil- fulfilling it. And Jesus is saying, don't even give an oath at all. Your words are meaningless. Your words have no value. Now, when we look here in verse 34, what Jesus is saying here in verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city. See, the, the rabbis and the Mosaic law had gotten so convoluted, and they'd split so, the hair so many different ways, that they were saying, well, in order to avoid any penalty for using God's name in vain in an oath, well, we won't say a swear by God, but we'll swear by heaven. That'll save us. We're not using God's name, but we're going to swear by heaven. Or we're going to swear by earth. Or I swear by the holy city of Jerusalem. Well, technically they were not using God's name, were they? What is Jesus saying here? Even if you give an oath in the name of heaven, you're still giving an oath in the name of God because where does God reside? Where is His throne? In heaven. If you say that I give a vow by earth, what are you saying? Well, you're really giving an oath to God still because what is the earth? The earth is God's footstool. What else? Even if you say, I give an oath by the name of Jerusalem, I swear by Jerusalem, well, you're still giving an oath to God in that because the city of Jerusalem is the city of God, the great king. So what is Jesus saying here in verse 34 and 35? You may think that you're smart by developing these mosaic laws because you're not using the name of God in your oath. But really what you're doing is you're still swearing to God no matter what you do. You just think you're so smart. Let me show you how dumb you are. That's what Jesus is saying here. An oath is an oath regardless of who you swear it to is what he's saying. No matter who you swear the oath to, whether you say, I swear to heaven or I swear to earth, both of these ideas point directly to God. They directly involve God because He is the creator of heaven and earth. And so you're still swearing an oath to God and you're doing so in a very distorted way. You see what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. He's directly addressing this hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's directly, he's addressing this rabbinic tradition that has so distorted the intent of the law. He's saying, let me show you exactly what God Himself means. Even further, the the influence of this rabbinic tradition had really influenced the culture so much that the Jewish culture was so corrupt that they would, it was a cultural norm to take an oath. And and here's what, here's how, what this would look like. If you, it was more of a show and a performance than it was keeping your word. Have you ever had somebody be so dramatic by making a promise to you that you shake your head and think, boy, that was really dramatic, but do they mean it? You ever been around somebody like that? And that's what had happened by this time. It was very important in cultural Judaism to give an an eloquent speech about what you promised to do 
or an eloquent speech about what you did or did not do at the court. When we look at ancient Greek culture, we have this group of people called the sophists. They weren't the only people who did this, but we, we get the term sophistry from this tradition. You ever heard the word sophistry? Sophistry is giving eloquent rhetoric and speech for the intent of influencing people by how smart you are, but when you really have no intent to speak the truth. The whole purpose of sophistry is to distort people's perception and to influence them to the point that they really think that you're really grand and smart and they must believe you because you're so smart. That's really sophistry. That's what it has turned into. No truth in what they say at all. And that's what had happened by this time in Jewish culture. People were so, they were more interested in eloquent performance of giving a promise, especially in the public square, than they were actually of keeping their word. And so Jesus is directly, uh, uh, he's pointing to this directly and he's, he's really showing how dangerous this is. So the O's of this time were really forms of words designed more to impress than promises to keep. They were promises made with no indication that the person who was fluent and eloquent intended to do anything that they said. But oh, they're so eloquent in their speech, they must mean something. He was just, they were literally swearing oaths to impress and to persuade people to accept what they were saying. It was an act of influence that was poison and dangerous. Salespeople still do this all the time, right? I swear that grandma drove this car from home to church for 30 years, and that's only why it's got 20,000 miles on it, right? Or the snake oil salesman on late night infomercials, right? They swear testimonies about how wonderful this product is and they have people on the advertisement tell you how great it changed their life, right? It was a miracle drug or a miracle product. There's no truth to any of that. They're swearing as a witness to this thing. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Because when we listen to these kind of eloquent oaths and testimonies and promises, the most dangerous aspect of this is that the people actually swearing all these things, they're really just fools. Now that's a word that we're not supposed to say, but let's just be truthful. How many of us have watched infomercials and thought, this is very foolish? (laughs) How many of us have ever been tried to be Someone's tried to sell us on something and we're just shaking our heads thinking, this guy's a fool. We don't dare say it, but it's true. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. So here's what he says. In essence, he's saying, don't let this foolishness ever touch you. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you are part of the kingdom of heaven, because remember, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is pointing to. We looked at the Beatitudes as attributes of being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The same idea carries over here in Matthew chapter 5 about oaths. If you are a citizen of the kingdom, if you are a child of God, do not let this foolish behavior about swearing oaths, don't let it influence you. Don't let it touch you. What does Jesus say? 
Let's look here at verse 35 and 36. Actually, verse 36. Jesus says, And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, when you look at that word in verse 37, this comes from evil. Some translations may have this, but when you look at the Greek word root here, it's actually talking about anything more than this comes from the evil one. What is it that Satan does? Why do we call him the accuser, the father of lies? That's his nature. That's his character. And so anything in that vein, any kind of swearing of an oath with the intent of being deceptive clearly comes from the heart and from the source of the evil one. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom, if you are made in the image of Christ, if you have been born again in His image, you have been washed clean of your sin, and you are a new person in Christ, a new citizen of the kingdom, there is absolutely nothing from the evil one that should even come close to you or come through you. So what is Jesus saying? He's really very very strict here. A citizen of the kingdom should not even think about taking an oath. They should not need to. Let their words be true. Right? Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no. I like how the King James Version puts this. But let your communication be yea, yea, or nay, nay. (laughs) Right? For whatsoever is more than this cometh. From evil. In other words, what you say, let it be respected. Let it be whatever you say, be your reputation be such a level that whatever you say, people understand that you mean the truth. That there was there's no hint of lying in your life, there's no hint of lying or deceit in your words, because your reputation as a citizen of the kingdom, as a Christian, as a child of God, is so impeccable that wow, I can trust what you say. Amen? How many of us have ever felt so desperate to be heard that we fall into this trap that Jesus is talking against? Well, if you don't believe me, just let me point to this. So-and-so says this, right? Children do this all the time. But mom, Sally's mom lets them do it, right? You see how childish this can become? We as adults, as mature children of God, We should be so confident in our Father in heaven and we should be so confident in the nature of Christ Himself and we should be so confident in His Word that even our words should be so true and trustworthy that there is absolutely no need to call in another witness, much less call on God to be our witness. If God is our Father and He has made us new in His Son, There's absolutely no reason for us to have to call upon him to be our witness. Think about this. If we, because that's what an oath is, right? An oath is actually swearing that God is our witness that we are telling the truth. Nothing wrong with that per se, but here's what happens. When we swear an oath like this and we say, if you don't believe me, believe God, I'm calling God to be my witness on my account. You know what we're doing? We're actually taking God's 
authority and His sovereignty and His goodness and His holiness. And we're actually diminishing God's character to be nothing more than a witness on, in a perjury trial. It's almost like we're calling God to be our servant. I'll let that sink in for a minute. When we are calling on God to be our witness to other people, we're actually taking God into a position of doing what we want Him to do. I think that's part of what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. If your faith in Christ and your faith in God the Father is solid and is what it should be, then God Himself is true and He is holy and He is just. And we understand that we are His servants And we understand that we are His children. And we understand that what we do represents Him. And what we do reflects Him. We have no right to call God out of His sovereignty, His place of sovereignty, and place Him below us as if, okay, God, you tell them what I want you to tell them. Instead, we are called by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, to let our words be simply yes or no. Now, how does this play out? How many of us in this room have ever given an an oath to God in whatever form? I promise, dear Lord, that I will be a good Christian if you will just do X, Y, or Z. Anybody ever done that? How many of us have, who claim the name of Christ, who claim to be Christians, have made a promise to live as Christ. Yet we don't. How many of us have made a promise to a spouse, yet we don't follow through? How many of us have ever made a promise to a a child, an offspring, and we let them down? How many of us have ever made a promise to an employer, yet cheated and stole time from them or money from them? How many of us have ever made a promise and then we don't follow through and make excuses? You know, the idea of keeping one's word is an idea that I think has fallen on hard times. How many of us can honestly say we know people that we can trust their word? In my mind, in my life, I think I could probably only count on two or three, that I could honestly say, if they said that they were going to do something, I can count on it. How many of us have made a promise that we don't keep? Whether it be to one another, whether it be to God's church, whether it be even to sovereign grace. How many of us have made a promise to sovereign grace to do something, to be committed to something, but somehow we have fallen away from that promise? Jesus makes it real clear here. Let what you say be simply yes or no. If there's ever an excuse for why something did not happen... Now, I understand life happens, okay? Life life happens. On your way to going wherever you're supposed to be that you promised to be there, there's a wreck. I get that. That's life. That's understandable. Children do get sick. I get that. But we have to ask ourselves... Look at our reputation. Look at our history. If what we say we will do, we do, is there ever a reason why anyone should doubt our word? 
I think Jesus makes it pretty clear here. There's no reason to take an oath at all. Don't even bother. Don't try to do it. Don't try to impress anybody. Don't try to sound like, look at me, I made a promise, I'm going to be the, pet, the, the child's pet, I'm going to be the one that God loves the most because I am making a promise, but then we never follow through. Here's one that comes to mind that I'm thinking of. We in the South, we love to say this, I'll pray for you. That's a promise. How many of us actually do? Or is that just up there with the southern phrase of, well, bless your heart? You see where we're going? And I'm guilty of this, just like anyone. I'll say I'll pray for you, and then I don't. And so I'm trying even more and more so to make sure that if someone asks me to pray for them, I'm going to pray for them right that minute. Just this week, I had that privilege. God allowed me to be at uh, I was just Spring Street Supermarket. I was there taking care of some business there, and I was walking through the line, and the cashier, she just, and of course, I have my mask on. Okay, I'm a good, good, I have my mask on. And she just looks at me, she says, do I know you? We'd never met before. She said, I look familiar. I said, well, I told her who I was, and I was pastor of Sovereign Grace. Well, no, I don't know you. She said, but if you're a pastor, would you pray for my daughter? And this tears started coming in her eyes. And we stood right there in the checkout line, and I just prayed for her. And I prayed for her daughter. And she told me what was going on with her daughter. And it was, I mean, it's a mother's heart. Now, did I just say casually, I'll pray for you, and I just paid for my groceries and left? No, I, I felt convicted to stand right there. I'm, not going to just, I'm just not going to say I'll pray for you. I'm going to do it. Let's pray together. And we prayed right there in the checkout line. I find that in my life, if, if I obey the Lord and do what He wants me to do in the moment, there's no regret later. And if we promise to do something for someone and we fail to get follow through, or we forget, let's just be honest, the older we get, the more we forget. Right? Geraldine and I just had that conversation this morning. Right? I forgot two things this morning. Just as, I, as soon as I thought about it, it wasn't a second later. I forgot what I was thinking. Okay? That happens. Jesus is saying, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you make a promise to the Lord, if you make a promise to one another in the church, if you make a promise to anyone, follow through. Better, better yet, don't even go through the, through the drama of making a promise. Just do it. And let the reputation of Christ ooze through you. Amen? Don't even promise. Just do it. We've got folks in our church who are having to stay home right now. We've got folks in our church who may need some help at home. Let's just show up and like mow their yard or take them a box of groceries or whatever. Don't ask permission. Don't promise. Just go do it. And let the reputation of the Lord speak for itself. Amen? I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. Let me close this in prayer. And as I close, here at Sovereign Grace, uh, the first Sunday of every month, we always come before the throne of God and we follow through uh, Jesus' command of uh, of the Lord's table here. He's given us an ordinance to meet at the Lord's table. But let me pray for us. And as as I do, I want to ask Bill if he could help me. Um, and maybe uh, Dwayne, if, if you could help me. If you two could come on up while I pray and then be able to distribute the elements, that would be helpful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this good day. 
And Lord, first of all, I confess even myself and all of us in this room, there, we can all confess there are times that we have intended good things and we've even said, I will do such and such. And we don't follow through. Lord, if you have bought us with the blood of your Son and you have made us clean, then I pray that you would convict us of those times that we have let you down. And I pray, God, that you would challenge us just to follow through on our word. Good intentions only go so far, but actions mean a lot. Better yet, Father, you have taught us to use few words. You've taught us, dear God, that just let our actions be what they are. And Lord, I pray that you would let our actions be glorifying to you and to you alone. Humble us, Father, I pray, and love on us and be gracious. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time when we partake of the Lord's table, I want to read just one passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to ask Bill if you'd pray over the elements for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul reminds us, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is clearly talking here about the body of Christ, discerning our relationship with one another, but it's also deeper than that. It's also, you can also easily see here a personal reflection of yourself, your relationship with the Lord. If you're a visitor with us this morning, you are welcome to partake in the Lord's table, but I always introduce the elements here this way every month. If you are a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you have clearly been forgiven of your sin and you follow through in the Lord's baptism, you are welcome to participate with us today. If you are not in that category, I will politely ask that you not participate, not out of condemnation, but just out of respect for what the Lord tells us in His Word. And if you wish to talk to us about this afterwards, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Especially if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian. Uh, I'm not trying to be rude, but this table is not for the non-Christian. The table is for God's people. And we would love to talk to you about that. But as the men distribute the elements, use this time, as, as Paul says here, to examine yourself. Pray before the Lord. Discern your heart.